to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Garanga, all glories to Srila Prabhupada, Nama Om Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prasaya, Bhutale, Srimati Bhaktivinanda Swami, Uchinamane, Namaste Saraswati Deve, Gauravani Pacharani, Nivasesis, and Nivani Paskachali Satami, Vandeham Sri Guru, Sri Uttam Padakamalam, Sri Guru, and Vaishnavasha, Sri Rupam Sagrajatam, Sagana Raghunatam, Vitam Samtajivam, Sadvoitam, Sadvadutam, Padutana, Saita, Krishna Chaitanya Devam, Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamsha Panchakapati Vishakri Vasindaviyeva Tapati Tanapavanevi Ovaishnavi Vidamon Mahal Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So it's March 8th, 2021, Hillsborough, North Carolina, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 24, Text 2. Tada Vigno Pi Bhagavan Sarvatma Sarvadarshana Prashrayavanato Prichad Vidananda Parogamam Please chant. Tad Abhigna Being in full knowledge about it Api Although Bhagavan The Supreme Lord Sarva Atma the super soul within everyone's heart. Sarva Darshanaha. The omniscient personality of Godhead. Parshraya Avanata. Bowing down humbly. Aprichat. He inquired. Vridan. From the elders. Nanda Pura Gaman, headed by Maharaj Nanda. DVT translation. Being the omniscient super soul, the Supreme Lord Krishna already understood the situation. Yet he still humbly inquired from the elders, headed by his father, Nanda Maharaj. DVT purport. Lord Krishna was eager to enact his pastime of lifting Govardhan Hill and defeating the false pride of Indra, and thus he cleverly inquired from his father about the imminent sacrifice. Let's read from Krishna book. <coughs> As stated in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, a devotee of Krishna has strong and firm faith in the understanding that if he simply engaged in Krishna consciousness and Krishna's transcendental, transcendental loving service, then he is free from all other obligations. A pure devotee of Lord Krishna doesn't have to perform any of the ritualistic functions enjoined in the Vedas, nor is he required to worship any demigods. Being a devotee of Lord Krishna, one is understood to have performed all kinds of Vedic rituals and all kinds of worship to the demigods. One does not develop devotional service for Krishna, by performing the Vedic ritualistic ceremonies or worshipping the demigods, but it should be understood that one who is engaged fully in the service of the Lord has already fulfilled all Vedic injunctions. 
In order to stop all such activities by his devotees, Krishna wanted to firmly establish exclusive devotional service during his presence in Vrindavana. Because he is the omniscient personality of Godhead, Krishna knew that the cowherd men were preparing for the Indra sacrifice, but as a matter of etiquette, he began to inquire with great honor and submission from elder personalities like Maharaj Nanda. Tadabhinopi Bhagavan Savatma Sarvadarshanaha Prashraya Manato Pritchad Vridha Nanda Purogaman. Being the omniscient super soul, the Supreme Lord Krishna already understood the situation, yet he still humbly inquired from his elders headed by his father, Nanda Maharaj. It's interesting. It didn't put it into the translation, but Avanataha bowing down humbly. So he, his tone wasn't just humbly, he was actually uh, bowing down. So here we see the Lord engaged in etiquette. The Lord likes loving relationships, and loving relationships involve etiquette, involves you know, rules and principles and norms of dealing with one another to show respect and to show love and to show consideration. And of course, these vary from one culture to another. Yes? Uh, what's considered proper etiquette in one culture is considered rude in another culture. So I'd like to tell this story of, of uh, our god brother Hari Velas, who's from an Armenian family. He said when his family moved to America, their neighbors invited them over for dinner. So they went to their neighbor's house, and they're all sitting on the sofa and the chairs talking. And then the neighbors say, dinner's ready, would you like to eat? And these Armenians say, no, no, that's okay, we're not hungry. They went there for dinner, right? And the hosts again say, would you like to come eat? No, 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 we're not hungry. So the neighbors sat down and ate while the Armenian guests sat on the couch not eating. Because it was a cultural clash. Just like, you know, when I go to India or when I stay at, when I eat at the home of Indians, especially who were born and raised in India, they put food on my plate without my asking for it. You know, they put types of food on my plate without asking. They don't ask me. They don't say, would you like this? They just simply put it there. And if I'm not extremely attentive, I'll have this huge plate full of food that I can't eat and I don't want. Right? And Americans, don't, we don't do that. You serve yourself or they ask you what you want. Right? And it's, it's a different cultural mindset. So there's many cultures in the world where the etiquette is that the guest is not supposed to inconvenience the host. So the guest isn't supposed to ask for anything because they might ask for something that the host can't give and then they'd embarrass the host. So the host has to guess what the guest wants and give it to them and the guest always has to say, no, 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 I don't, I don't need this, I don't need this. And the host has to insist. In many cultures it's like you have to say no four times. At the fourth time then you can say yes. yes. But you have to refuse. And then there's other cultures where it's just the opposite. Right? Where instead of the guest is feeling I don't want to inconvenience the host, the host is feeling I don't want to inconvenience the guest. And so the host doesn't 
ask, doesn't push anything on the guest. The guest has to say, well, I need this, I need this, can I please have this? So it's, it's an opposite way, but they're both thinking about respect. Right? There's a lot of studies been done, and, and uh, uh, devotee Sri Prahlad has, has studied this very extensively. He teaches about cross-cultural understandings, and I've, I've read quite a number of books on it. You know, the difference between like an individualist culture and a collectivist culture and a culture that favors what we typically think of as more male qualities or a culture that favors what we typically think of as more female qualities. And when these cultures work together, you have all kinds of clashes where each person thinks that they're being disrespected. So that if I show respect according to my culture, that translates to disrespect in your culture. You know, so when the Indian just plops down another three puris on my plate, they're doing that to respect me, but I culturally interpret that as disrespect. So there's this, this interesting phenomenon that how etiquette is shown varies often in opposite ways in different parts of the world. I mean, we know a couple where he's from a very traditional South Indian family, and a very high-class South Indian family, and she's French. And soon after they got married, the husband said to one of my friends, my wife is so rude. <laughs> and I was thinking, no, she's not rude, she's just French, <laughs> and you're South Indian. And so there's this, this disconnect. But the concept of respect is there in every culture of the world. There's been studies about universal moral ethical principles. Are there any principles of morality and ethics that apply in all cultures? And there's five that's been identified by sociologists. Purity, authority, fairness, community, and harm. Do no harm. So that pure things are wanted and impure things are not wanted. Authority, like we're seeing here. Krishna respecting authority. Fairness, that people should be taken care of fairly. Community, the sense of loyalty to one's group. And harm, one should not do harm. Of course, how these are defined varies from one culture to another. Obviously, meat eaters would define purity differently than vegetarians. And how these are emphasized changes from one culture to another. So in some culture, respect for authority is emphasized more than in other cultures. And if you think about it, all of these universal moral principles have some basis in biology. One thing I've been meditating on a lot the last, I'd say, year or two is Srila Prabhupada's conflation of the laws of nature with the laws of God. And that one of the ways we can understand, because people always ask, you know, how do I know I'm pleasing to Krishna? How do I know what Krishna wants? And one out of many ways is you look at the laws of nature. If you're doing something that's in opposition to the laws of nature, then you're doing something that's in opposition to the laws of God because he's made the laws of nature. I mean, just like, it's a duh. One, one book that I read was saying, if your ideology doesn't comport with biology, there's something wrong with your ideology. So if we look at these universal moral principles, purity has to do with biological health. Right? You have to have a moral principle that purity is superior to impurity, otherwise you're going to get sick and die. As far as authority, each of us is born a helpless infant. If we don't have respect for our parents, if we don't have respect for our authorities, we will literally die. 
And so that's hardwired into biology. And I thought about fairness a lot. You know, is fairness biologically based? But there's been a lot of experiments showing that even animals, at least some of the higher animals, have a concept of fairness. It's quite fascinating. And community, again, we're social creatures. We're herd animals. And again, if we don't have loyalty to our community, we're going to lose resources and we may die and then harm. If you don't have a principle that you shouldn't harm others, everybody's going to get harmed and people are going to die and they're going to be hurt. So here Krishna is showing this principle of respect for authority. And it's really fascinating because in this verse, who's the authority? Who's described as the authority in this verse? No. Bhagavan. I mean, Krishna's, look at all the descriptions here. All right? Tad Abhidna, he has full knowledge. Bhagavan, he's the Supreme Lord. Sarva Atma, he's the super soul. Sarva Darshana, he's omniscient, he sees everything. The authority is Krishna. You know, think about, I was talking the other day about um, Madhavindapuri and how little Krishna comes in disguise to see Madhavindapuri who's fasting. And he says, this is my village. Here no one fasts and here I am the authority. So Krishna's the authority, but he's showing respect for authority. All right, so now why does he want to convince Nandamaraj? So Sanatana Goswami says that Nandamaraj, like it's described here, right, Nanda Purogaman, Man is the group, Pura complete, the complete group. So Prabhupada said he's talking to all the authorities headed by Nanda. Now Nanda is in the middle of five sons. But everybody really respects Nanda. I mean, sometimes Nanda defers to his older brothers like Upananda, but generally people really respect Nanda as the king of Rundava, even though he's a middle child. And so Krishna knows that if I can convince Nanda, and Nanda then says, hey, we're going to stop the Indra Yagya and do a Govardhan Yagya, everybody will follow him. So this, of course, is the Yadyadacharajitreshtan principle. So how did Srila Prabhupada follow that principle? Prabhupada talked about it a lot. What did he do on the basis of that principle? Approaching the strangeness of society. Yes, approaching leaders in society. But specifically, why he came to the United States of America. Like his godbrothers had gone to London. And Prabhupada said, No, I'm going to go to America because everyone's following the Americans. And as you travel the world, you see this very starkly that if something is done in America, people think it must be cool. You know, I, I remember very clearly a lecture by Bhakti Swami in, in Soho Street that I attended, where for the first time I felt, wow, it's actually kind of nice that I have a, a female American body. And that people are following Americans, and more and more people were looking to women as leaders of the world. And I thought, if there's something that I do as an American woman, people will think, oh, that's the thing to do. It, it, it was the first time. I mean, up until then, I'd always thought, oh, you know, I had this really awful low birth. And, I don't know. 
But it's just a fact that people follow Americans. I mean, even though we, you know, we may look at our own governments and our own thing and think, why would anybody want to follow us? But, but they do. They really do. I mean, under the Trump administration, I heard from a lot of devotees in other parts of the world who said, you know, we were really disappointed in you guys for electing him. But still Americans were setting the standard. The laws that we tend to pass, the kind of entertainment that we have, the way we tend to dress, the norms of our society. What's starting to happen in the world, you know, we talked about these cultural differences in etiquette. They're still there. There's still a big difference between the idea of etiquette in Germany and in Belgium, for example, or in France and in the UK. They have very different ideas of etiquette. You know, in France and Italy, everybody touches everybody, and in the UK, nobody touches anybody. But it's starting to be eroded by a global culture which is very American-based. It really is that you go to these different cities of the world and you don't see a lot of the local culture. It looks like you're just seeing American culture. It's kind of freaky, actually. So Srila Prabhupada knew if he could make the Americans Krishna conscious, that would make the world Krishna conscious. What's interesting is that even the Indians are following the Americans. Because they saw Americans were taking up Krishna consciousness, they said, oh, maybe we should take up our own Krishna consciousness. And one of the biggest boosts for Prabhupada movement was when George Harrison became a devotee. And George Harrison produced, you know, the Radha Krishna Temple album and My Sweet Lord and was openly chanting Hare Krishna. Or even before that with Allen Ginsberg. You know, that had, it had a huge effect. Oh, if Allen Ginsberg is chanting Hare Krishna, if George Harrison is chanting Hare Krishna, it must be a good thing. So Krishna understanding this principle, even though he's the authority, he's there as a little boy, and he's understanding, if I can get Nanda on my side, then everybody else will follow him. Then also Krishna's respect for elders. And again, this is so sweet because Krishna is Adhyampurana Purushamna. He's the supreme elder. There's nobody who's elder than Krishna. I mean, we're all eternal. In one sense, there's no elder because we're not, we don't have a beginning date. We all exist simultaneously. So in one sense, you really can't say uh, someone is elder. But still, Krishna is the eldest. You can, both are true simultaneously. So why is Krishna respecting Nandamaraj as his elder? You have often asked the question, what's more true, that Krishna is Nanda's son or that Krishna is Nanda's father? They're both true. But we could say that Krishna as Nanda's son is a higher truth because it's more pleasing to Krishna. Krishna likes the idea that he's somebody's son. Isn't that funny? Krishna says, I'm taking care of everyone. I'm everyone's father. You know, I have a good devotee friend who's had children late in life. And he said, if I had known how pleasing and satisfying it is to be a father, I would have had started earlier and had more children. So it's very pleasing for Krishna to be a father of everyone. 
at the same time, it's pleasing to have a father. Isn't it? If you have a good father. I mean, I was very blessed I had a very good father. Srila Prabhupada said, when we were in his room, met with him in his room in Philadelphia in 75, he looked at us and said, good father, good daughter. You know, and sometimes I really miss my father. It's been a long time. But sometimes I really miss my father. It was nice having a father. Having somebody, you know, there that's going to be there for you, that's going to take care of you, that always loves you no matter what. It's always in your corner, gives you good advice, helps you out. And Krishna likes that. Isn't that funny? He likes having that, although he's that. He likes being that. I was just hearing a class of Srila Prabhupada this morning who was saying how Krishna had 16,108 wives, but he was with all of them simultaneously, not that they had to wait their turn. And he said, and he, you know, said an ordinary man uh, would probably become impotent, but Krishna was fathered ten children by each of his wives. So Krishna is also a father in that sense, that he has this huge dynastic family. You know, when they travel to Indraprastha for the Raja Suya Yagya, there's this huge retinue. How many teachers? I forget. It was like tens of thousands of teachers just for his children. And imagine all the washing, you know, the servants, people who wash the laundry and the cooks and <laughs> for all of that huge family. And yet Krishna likes having a father. In fact, he likes it so much that he's got more than one. You know, he's got Nandamarj, he's got Vasudev, he's got Kasyapa, he's got Dasarath. He really likes having a father. So having a father means you show proper etiquette to your father. That's the enjoyment. If you have a father and there's no proper respect and etiquette between you and your father, it's not pleasing. Isn't it? So Krishna likes this etiquette that he's not just going to come, I'm the supreme authority, do this. He's bowing down to his father. And in fact, Krishna doesn't even like it when his parents treat him with awe and reverence, like when Vasudeva and Devaki start treating Krishna and Balaram with awe and reverence after the killing of Kamsa. Krishna covers them with Yogamaya. He's like, stop being so reverential to me. You know, treat me as your little boy. Treat me as your son. So the Lord is, is Akila Rasamrita Murti. He's the reservoir of all rasas. And he enjoys every possible kind of relationship. You know, Rupa Goswami has understood them as five primary rasas and seven secondary rasas, and then there's subcategories of those, like with Sakyabab, there's the older friends who are mixed friendship and parental, the same age friends who are just friendship, the younger friends who are mixed friendship and servitorship, and then Ujwala Nimamani, where Rupa Goswami gets into the Madhurya Bab, he describes 350 subcategories of Madhurya Bab. And he says, this isn't even all of them. Because frankly, with each jiva, there's a somewhat different relationship. Sanatana Goswami says this in a commentary, I believe it's in chapter 13, that the Lord has unlimited, of the 10th canto, that the Lord has unlimited qualities unlimited jivas, and each jiva is attracted by a particular quality. Or it's described that when the Lord married 16,100 wives all on the same day in separate ceremonies. Whew. Each Krishna seemed a little different from the others because each wife had a somewhat different relationship with Krishna. And therefore his form 
was somewhat different. And of course, our Lord Brahma says this in the third canto, that the Lord appears in whatever form we worship him. You know, those of us who have more than one child, we have a different relationship with our different children. It's not exactly the same. There's a different element about it. Yeah, this is, you know, if you have more than one sibling, you have a different relationship with this sister than with that sister. So Krishna's enjoying all these varieties of relationships. And to enjoy a relationship with your father, there has to be etiquette. Then as Prabhupada's saying, in Krishna book, Krishna's also doing this to clearly establish proper worship. And Jiva Goswami comments that Krishna didn't mind the worship of the demigods when he's not on the earth, but when he's in the earth, when he's on the earth, he's like, hey, I'm here. Why are you worshiping my servants? You know, maybe if the president isn't visiting, it's fine that you're worshiping the ministers and the ambassadors. And, but if the president shows up and you're ignoring the president and you're giving all the honor to the ambassadors, it's a little funny. It's like Krishna's like, I'm here, you know. <laughs> you should be worshiping me. And Sanatana Goswami comments that Krishna wanted to worship Govardhan, who's of course himself, but in the mood of his devotee, like Mahaprabhu is in the mood of, uh, Krishna in the mood of a devotee. That Krishna always loves his devotee, so Krishna wanted his devotee Govardhan to be worshipped, and Krishna wanted to arrange this festival where everybody would be together under Govardhan Hill. Because that kind of thing we've mentioned before, it's uncommon. Because each devotee has a different relationship with Krishna, some of those relationships are not so compatible. So some of the way, like some friends are always insulting Krishna and fighting with him, and some of the friends are really submissive, and they never talk back to Krishna. And if they're all together, it can, it can be a little awkward. So Krishna has different groups of gopis and different groups of friends and different groups of cows, and, and he often associates with them at different places. So there's not that often that everybody comes together, like the Rasalila, all the gopis are together. But there's a whole setup for that, right, in which Radharani leaves, and then Krishna leaves Radharani. So under Govardhan Hill is a time when everybody in Vrindavan is together with Krishna. That, that's unusual. Like when, and everyone's together. I mean, there's this terrible storm going on, and it's dangerous, but they're having a blast under Govardhan Hill. I mean, Kavi Kandapur describes there's a whole village under there. You know, it was, it was like a, this week-long celebration. Yeah, whereas say, another time that everyone's together is when, almost everyone, is when Krishna's dancing on Kaliya, but there it's agony, and it's described that Balaram told his mother to stay back and cook, so at least she wasn't there. Or when Krishna goes to Mathura, if, even if everyone's there, again, it's agony. So here we have under Govardhan Hill, it's one of our most joyous festivals, isn't it, Govardhan Puja? Our festivals, a festival we don't fast. <laughs> And nobody argues about whether or not we should eat, you know, puris. <laughs> whether we should have regular prasada. I mean, when I've been to um, New Vrajdam in Hungary for Govardhan Puja, they offer, what is it? 2,000 kgs of sweets, I think. The temple room is filled with sweets. So Krishna wants this big festival. Yes? And then Vishnu Chakravati Thakur also says, which the Prabhupada picks up on Krishna book, that Krishna wants to cut the pride of Indra. 
And he wants to cut the pride of Indra, and he's not overtly taking his position as God here. It's like it's a lot more cut down of your pride if a little kid is able to defeat you than if your master defeats you. So Krishna is not showing himself here as the master, although he is. He's, he's covering that. I, I'm just, what are you doing, Daddy? I don't understand what's going on. And it's this little boy who's completely demolishing. So in that way, Indra's pride is cut down, which is good for him. Uh, to have a little boy surpass him. So Krishna likes to show this sweet, loving mood. You know, we have the word Bhagavan, the possessor of all opulence. You know, and people generally think of God as, you know, God. <laughs> Great, powerful, omniscient. You know, that, that omniscient with the darshina sees everything. But Krishna also likes this, this play. And the fact that God likes to be a child is, to me, astonishing. Uh, my youngest son, Keshava, says, you know, the problem with childhood is you're so powerless. You know, I, I spend, I have dinner most of the time with Padma Chi Arjuna, Padma Gopi Chi Arjuna, and, you know, their kids are very small, one and, and almost three. And they're very powerless, especially the one-year-old. I mean, what can he do for himself? He's very aware of how powerless he is. He's constantly asking for mercy from other people. You know, as soon as you walk in the door, he's like, oh, pick me up, pick me up. And Krishna, the supreme powerful, enjoys being like that. He enjoys being like that. He enjoys being this little child who's apparently helpless. Every once in a while he shows that he's not helpless. He knocks over the cart demon and kills Putana and knocks down Trinavarta and this kind of thing. But he's enjoying, you know, I can't, I can't carry the wooden plank, pick up the wooden, and he can't, can't pick it up. I need help. I need to be fed. I need to be carried. I need to be taken care of. So that, that's astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing. And he's enjoying here taking a position subordinate to Nandamarsh, bowing down to Nandamarsh. I was thinking of the past time we talked about the other day uh, where Jayadeva Goswami was hesitant to talk about Krishna bowing down to Srimati Radharani. And here he's bowing down to Nandamarsh. That, you know, for most people, the concept of God bowing down to one of his devotees is just incongruous. What? But Krishna's enjoying it. Oh, my dear father, oh, my dear elders... And of course, later in uh, Mathura, Krishna tells Vasudeva and Devaki, says, I'm so sorry that I didn't grow up with you and take care of you. He says, you know, anyone who can take care of their elder parents, of, their, of a chaste wife, and who doesn't do so is grossly sinful. So Krishna has this, this mood. I should, I should honor my parents. I should take care of my parents. So this very, very sweet pastimes of the Lord. And I don't know, reading this, it just feel so indebted to Srila Prabhupada. You know, there, there's so many concepts of religion and spirituality in the world. There's so many. I mean, there's the major religions, but then there's so many groups and sects of them, and then there's so many people who are teaching some form of spirituality and some form of enlightenment. But where are you going to find these descriptions of, of God? 
as this little boy showing etiquette to his father and, and having these relationships. And we have a place in that world. When I first read Krishna book, I thought, oh, all the posts are already taken. You know, where, where will I go? <laughs> where's, where's there a place for me? But actually, we're, we're part of that world. And there's a place for all of us where we have our perfect relationship with Krishna. Just like Nandamar is just so pleased with little Krishna's etiquette. I see this with Sri Arjuna and, and Abhimanyu, you know, when Abhimanyu says, my dear father, may I please have a glass of water? And he actually speaks like that. So, you know, Sri Arjuna is thrilled. And the same way, Nandamarsh is just thrilled with ecstasy when his little boy shows proper etiquette and proper decorum. And so we have a relationship with Krishna that thrills us. That Krishna deals with us perfectly. And we're like, all of my desires are what more could I ask? So questions, comments, additions, subtractions? Yes, Mr. I was thinking that also, besides Krishna really loving to be child, it's the devotees love that controls Krishna because they he wants to give them the pleasure of, of, of being that parent. You know, mm. so it's it's Krishna so merciful he looks at Mother Yashoda and says, I'm getting you know, so you can enjoy the ecstasy of being my mother. Yes, yes, Christopher was saying how that Krishna's parents are enjoying this ecstasy of being his parents, yes. Yeah. So Krishna's enjoying being a child and they're enjoying being the parent. The, this, the power of praying is so strong that it, that's the binding. Yeah, just if you were saying how the power of praying is so strong that it's binding like that. Yeah. And they lose awareness. Even Krishna loses awareness that he's God. Anybody else? No corrections? Well, thank you very much, and we're proud of our